Good morning to you again. Um, yes, you're one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. Um, this past, this past several weeks, we've been in the book of Hebrew and had our brother here, uh, Pastor Earl Entz, uh, which was a real treat. Now we're going to dive back into uh, a series we began back in June, uh, uh, Peacemaking Community, uh, focusing on God's ever-flowing, loving peace towards us and how he teaches us to have peace within our community with each other. Uh, indeed, it, it is so so needed. And so we're going to focus uh, this month on today, how we can be encouraged uh, by God. And then the following weeks, we'll look at topics like repentance and uh, forgiveness and gratitude. And then as we move into September, we have a guest preacher, and then uh, we will be into our fall kickoff season after that. But for now, we will focus on how God tends to encourage the saints. One of his favorite things to do because we indeed need it. From the youngest person to the oldest person, we all can use some type of encouragement in our lives and peace in our lives. And the peace of God is not about necessary calm or uh, tranquility. It's more of this overflowing flourishing as God intended things to be. Uh, and so God, he intends to build us up together and so that we will know this peace. But it's not always easy as we walk into each other and step on each other's toes, so to speak. But God is committed to uh, bridging that gap between us and, and himself to bring us in right fellowship with him. And as we face the obstacles in our lives, he wants us to radically believe this message, this gospel of truth that he's given us about a man, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross, about a man, Jesus Christ, who bodily resurrected from the dead. So we need encouragement from him as we face the discouragement of our day in many forms as we get into the tomb. And so let's turn our attention to how God encourages us from Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Before we move forward any further, let's pray. Heavenly Father, be the source of our strength and our love this morning. God, uplift our hearts to you. Show us the way to Speak your truth and love today, we pray in your name. Amen. You know, yesterday I had an opportunity to attend a eternal homegoing celebration. We celebrated the life of one of my neighbors who recently passed, uh, Mr. Harold. You know, upon meeting him, very humble, older gentleman, I could tell he had been a pillar in the neighborhood just because he will always encourage us where to park our car. If we got too close to the curb, he would instruct us to park a little further back because we have to be five feet away from the stop Well, actually, 25 feet away from the stop sign and five feet away from the alley. And, and so he would often come over when things were happening to encourage us to tell us, to give us an update on what's happening in the neighborhood. And so over time, we grew to love him as he would share not just his life, but his gifts. Uh, he and his wife loved giving our kids gifts, and uh, they would always bring over nuts, you know, like some roasted uh, peanuts. Like, they probably love peanuts. He gives us a lot of these, and other little knickknacks to the kids, just loving on us. We, we can begin to, to see his character through that. 
Uh, and that was pretty much all we knew. And so, you know, they were definitely fervent about going to church every Sunday. They're, I can tell they were actively involved. We never talked about the Lord or the Word together, but I can tell that, man, they, they loved the Lord. And so time passed on, and, and we learned earlier this summer that Mr. Harold was sick, that he had fallen ill, and he, and then later in the summer, he entered into hospice care. And so it was a sad time because when your friend is going through sort of that type of pain and suffering, it is it's sad. Uh, and but they were so upbeat. They, you know, he read his Bible, loved the Lord, and so at this homegoing celebration, I learned all that God had Mr. Harold doing in our community. The first thing I learned is that their church was like six blocks away, a, a little hidden gem right next to the a popcorn place there on uh, Georgia Avenue. And so Chris and I were like, we, we didn't know this place was here. And we didn't know that they came to church right around the corner. We thought they must have driven out somewhere but they were very much planted and rooted and invested in the neighborhood and people got up and pastor warned them, like, I'm not afraid of giving up if you go past your two minutes. You know, I've never seen that before, but he was like, I will stand up if you share too long. And so uh, people began to get up and to share about this man's life. And the testimonies that I heard about how he was diligent to go to church when the doors were open, how he was energetic to lead Bible studies and to lead Sunday school, lead Wednesday night prayer, and how he had done this essentially since his youth. How he had done this essentially since he moved to Washington, D.C. and got involved in the church just around the corner from him. And over time, began to learn of his own gifts that God had given him and how God was positioning him to encourage others a man who would tell it like it is, upstanding, like to do the right thing, but very warm and loving in heart. A man who uh, would call people every single week, he would get the list of the members and just call them to encourage them because you learned all the time that his gift was to minister, was to share the word of God and encourage them to those in that church. And so everyone got up and, and test, gave the testimony of his life and how he would do that. But one lady stripping forward with me, she said, for the past four years since I moved away, he never ceased to call me every Wednesday between two and three. For the past four years. And she said, it will always begin with him asking, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? How he would carry her in the conversation and spend time in the world with her and pray with her. And this was someone who didn't even live here anymore. And she said, you know, when he fell ill, he told me about it. And of course, there was sadness in heart. And she had her own, she has her own sicknesses that she's battling. Uh, but she said, even up to two weeks of his passing, he still called every Wednesday between two and three. And it began the same way. How are you doing? Even when he was so weak that he couldn't speak, he still would ask her, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? What a testimony of how God enters into our lives and make us 
those people, those rocks, those pillars in community to encourage and love one another. So we can rejoice in one another because Christ has the, made a deposit within us. He has invested in us. So when we do feel discouraged, Christ is there to encourage us through his body. So when we cease heeding his encouragement, though, in the face of clear opposition in our lives, no matter where it comes from or in, in what form it comes, uh, we never stop growing in Christ's love. Why? Because Christ is the one that encourages us by his spirit, through his church, through the saints, through his words. He encourages us towards unity and maturity that we will stand together. So this idea of encouragement means to make someone strong, to give heart to them, to come alongside of them, to call them into who they truly are, that their heart may be strengthened in the Lord. And so he intends to do this so that we can attain, as it says right there in uh, verse 13, he desires that we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, standing together as one to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And Paul is writing to the saints in Ephesus, very popular place, mega city, uh, bustling port, you know, ships coming in and coming out. Even there was a road 11 miles wide that, that led down uh, to the port, the, the magnificent road, they called it. Uh, and in a city like this, it's like an epicenter uh, and a bright spot in the entire Roman Empire. And so people coming in and coming out, you can imagine uh, the different types of uh, thoughts that would come through this city, different types of people that would be in this city. And so Paul has to write to the church of Ephesus to encourage them. And it wasn't necessarily because of what they were facing outside, and, you know, outside of the church, but there was even the vision within the church, as we see there in Ephesians uh, 2, that that was a, a divide that Christ had severed, that he brought the two together, the, the Judeans and the Gentiles, bringing them together, that they may be one under Christ. And they didn't always see eye to eye on that, nor did the Judeans see how Christ would fulfill this, but Paul spent time in Ephesus teaching them. He even sent Timothy there to teach them the doctrine, the teaching of the Lord. And so they were tempted, in a sense, to live individual lives and not come under, uh, under one hand with Christ. And we see that even from Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, that they had faced the transgressions of their lives, that Paul would say to them that you were once transgressors, you were once outside of the covenant of Christ, but he brought you near to him in the fullness of time. So that you can no longer go back and be slaves to your sins, to be slaves to the world, but that you can be saved by grace, by God's grace. So they are tempted to live individual lives, but God is calling them onto one head. One theologian states it this way, the church is not a chance collection of individuals, 
It is a unity already given by God's spirit. And the top priority on his agenda must be to preserve this. But at the same time, this unity is not a monochrome uniformity. It is not a painting of a single color or a single hue. The variety in Christ's distribution of grace to all ensures its rich diversity. As long as there is mutual forbearance, patience, this differentiation can be a factor that promotes rather than hinders unity. As Paul stresses, both at the beginning, verse 2, and at the end, verse 15 and 16 of the passage, the essential ingredient for the achievement of the harmony of unity and diversity is love. Love is the energizing power behind the community's drive to maintain unity. At the heart of its proclamation of truth and all the way through its process of corporate growth. How does God encourage us towards the goal of unity and growth in Christ? He does this by teaching us how to speak the truth in love. God is the one who has given us Verse 11, apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? God wants to prepare us. He wants us to come to completion as saints. God wants us to be diligent about his work of ministry. God wants us to build up, be built up together as a body of Christ. He wants us to attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Believe in all their years about Christ. Not just one thing, but all their years about him wholeheartedly. That we may stand together as a mature people of God. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ gave these gifts to the church for all times. The apostles still speak by the spirit through the word, through what they have written down. We know their testimony is true by the spirit that God has given us. God has opened our eyes, hasn't he says, to see that his word is true. There are times we're baffled by it because God brings the truth to us and we're enlightening our hearts. But before we came to Christ, some of you have this testimony, you couldn't see the things of God. You didn't know the things of God. You had to open your eyes to it through the teachings of the apostles and what they wrote down. Who are these apostles? They are people who encountered the resurrected Christ bodily. Who are these prophets but people who have proclaimed the excellencies of Christ and of God from the beginning all the way up to now? They still speak through the word. Who are the evangelists except those who bear the gospel of truth to share it with us? We think of Evangelist Billy Graham, serious about the gospel of truth. Sharing clearly as he should. We think of Timothy. Paul tells him continue to work as an evangelist, sharing and proclaiming the word of God. We think of the shepherds, those who are pastors who preach the word of God, who teach the word of God, the teachers as well, because they're they're shepherds and are pastors, and then they're shepherds and are pastor teachers, all designed to bear this word to speak on behalf of the king. They come from a long line of servants who were before them from the beginning until now. This is how God speaks to us. When God created earth, it was formless and void. The raw material was there. 
but life hasn't been given to it. There were there was not a structure, there was not a function, uh, there was not a relationship in and through the world. God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. God began to form and to fill the earth. Things began to sprout, things began to come in order. The crown of jewel was a man, God's spokesperson, a speaking being. God spoke with him face to face. God even brought the animals to him to see what he would name them. What he said mattered. Man even named one man, Eve, the mother of all men. God spoke his command to man. And what God, and what the man heard from God, he was to speak out into the world, to fill and to form according to God's purpose. In Genesis 1, 28, we see that God blessed them, Ish and Ishah, man and woman, Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, verse of the air, and over all things and in the heavens and over everything living that moves on the earth. What you bring into being matters. What you speak matters. How you communicate is of grand significance to God. So man, shape, creates, and use for the sake of my glory, that all man might see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. What God speaks, man is to follow. When man fails to follow, he is silent on speaking on behalf of God. It happens right here in the garden, doesn't it? Adam right there. Meant to speak out when he sees the challenges that his wife is up against. A talking serpent deceiving Eve right in his eyes. And then she gives some of the fruit to him. He was to speak up, but Adam was silent right there in the garden. He didn't speak on behalf of God. That God did say we should not eat of this fruit of this tree. So the silence of Adam made way for a catastrophe, a cosmic treason. Unlike the one who was speaking with the Russians, but on a scale that man cannot and will not come back from. But God promised a remedy. We know that. He promises that there will be one that speaks what he hears from the Father. Because we see the whole line of Jesus' genealogy. We see that Noah speaks telling of the flood of waters to come. You see that Moses speaks to Pharaoh. Even God uses Aaron to speak on Moses' behalf when he stammered to speak about the things of God. Let my people go. We see that even God speaks to Abraham, and Abraham shared these promises with his family, with Isaac and Jacob. We see that David speaks, don't we? The writer of the Psalms, most of them, musician and king of Israel. And as the writer of Hebrews writes, it makes clear to us, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed to heir all things, through whom also he created the world. So in John 12, 49, Jesus says, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me, has himself given a commandment what to say and what to speak. Where Adam fails to keep the commandment, Jesus succeeds in keeping it. 
when Adam was slow to speak during the moment of temptation, Jesus speaks on the authority of the Father when tempted the very word of God. Adam was sent out of Eden, but Jesus was sent that we may be led back to the promised land, to the Father. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And Jesus fulfills his promise that he made to us. That when this happens, he will pour his spirit. So in Acts 2, the spirit was poured out on Pentecost, signifying that the dwelling place of God was now with men from every tribe, from every, every language, from every tongue, from every people on the earth. <coughs> that they may have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the victory of God. And so Paul writes in Ephesians 4, 8, that when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men and women. What are these gifts? What are these gifts, as the text declares in verse 11? And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. What is their purpose of speaking? Why did, why did he give these speaking gifts to the church, those who speak on his behalf? The purpose is for preparation of the saints, that we may look more and more like Christ. The purpose is that we may be equipped to do his bidding here on earth, the work of ministry, and that is a natural overflow. We will make more like him in our soul, in our inner being, guess what? We will be made more like him outwardly as well. Where we go, what we say, what we do, we will look like him. Just as the disciples, apostles, and acts, people said they look like these ordinary men speaking these things. They, they look like they have been with Christ because they had been with him. We will become like him. And so he gave them for the building up of the body. And because we're torn down much, struggling with the brokenness of the world, struggling with the things that would discourage us in the world. And so we need to someone to show us. We need the word spoken to us to remind us that, hey, this is Christ's purpose for you. Unity of faith, knowledge of the Son, to maturity. How long are we to speak this? How long are the prophets and the apostles and all them are to speak this? They're to speak this until we attain together, together, the unity of faith and to know Christ. So we contemplate this. We wonder if we have any significance at time, any real dignity, a true identity in the body of Christ, don't we? We wonder if we fit in here. Are these my people, really? Yes, these are your people. People that profess Christ. We wonder about friendships. But we know we have the best friend of all. We just saying about it. We wonder if others really care. But the Word of God comes to tell us that, yes, the people that have the indwelt spirit really do care in their heart of hearts. They may not know how to get there right now, but with your stand power, when you stand their lives moving towards them and they move towards you, something is happening that's already realized in Christ. Unity and diversity. Mighty and power to stand together so that we may all be growing up together and encouraged. As we will say with the Apostle Paul, that not that we have already obtained all this, 
already been made perfect, but we press on to make Christ our own because Christ Jesus has made us his own together as a church. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal to the prize of the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. So let those who are mature think this way. If anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. We pre- will you press on with your brothers and sisters towards this type of maturity, towards this type of manhood? One man standing together towards the measure and the stature of the fullness of God who feels everything in every way. You know, I was at a, a bachelor party one of my friends, one of my close friends, is getting married. You know, most of the time at these bachelor parties, you know, there's some type of test that you have to go through. So, you know, we do this sort of casual talk, uh, but everybody knows that we need to take him through the gauntlet. We just don't know how yet, but he has to go through the gauntlet. The gauntlet of just some type of task, physical task, or some type of humiliation. And so, uh, we sat around first watching sports, you know, looking at some YouTube videos, just having a great time. Then someone brought a colorful array of permanent markers. And they began to move towards him, all these big guys, and he couldn't do anything except just give in. So they began to take off his clothes all the way down to his thick leaf. And then we proceeded to put loving messages, we thought, uh, on his body. So we tattooed him up from head to toe. <laughs> it was a beautiful work of art. We appreciate it. So we were having some fun. And then, you know, there would come a time in the evening that we want to give him some encouragement. We want to speak into his life and what he meant to us as a man. And so I was anxious to, so I was anxious to give my friend, you know, what was on my heart. Because this was a guy who had been with me, as they say, who was thick and thick. This is someone who stood by me when my other friends would not. You know? And so, of course you don't judge your other friends, but you, you realize that, wow, <laughs> there's something about this guy, you know, that's showing real love towards me. And so I began to tell him of how much he meant to me and how he had stood by me over the years and how he would feed me when I was hungry, really, in my early senior days, being in poverty, away from my family, and how he wouldn't complain about uh, how it would Load the dishwasher. That was one of his pet peeves, but he would never write and complain about me and show me any type of disrespect in our conversations or otherwise. Uh, and so he never spoke an ill word to me, but would lift me up even when I failed him. And so as I began to lavish on these words, speaking into his life and what he meant to me, I began to see his hesitation to receive these words. I began to see him attempting to speak to me, to interject when I was lavishing encouragement towards him. But what I did, I kept going. I kept pressing on. I kept pressing in and speaking 
the things of God into his life and what he meant to me. And I could tell he was quivering under the weight of my words because I, I wondered, I don't know what was really happening, but tears were streaming down his eyes. I, I believe it was a mix, it was an ambivalent uh, that we feel, right? When somebody's encouraging us, do you really mean that? Do you really care for me? I don't deserve, I don't deserve these words that you're giving me. Uh, what's going to happen? Will you make a fool of me? You know, with you giving me these gifts of your words, can I really trust you? Can I really hope in the gospel of grace? Can I hope in your words that we can move forward to build something better? So there was hesitancy with our friends. And so with us as well, when people began to move into our lives in a, in a Christ-like manner, we, we're, we're, we're sort of cynical in a way. Uh, we're curious about their trust and their love towards us. We want to see it again. It's almost like we put each other through the government, right? We want to see it again. Like, can this be true? Uh, can I really, really trust you? And so as we stand together on the shoulders of the apostle in the word of God, the answer is yes, God begins to teach us how we trust one another. But we got to continue to move in towards each other. This is all for the sake of standing together in the things of Christ. Will we risk relationship with each other at Grace Meridian Hill? Are we willing to lose with one another for the sake of standing together? Can we lead each other in our groups, in our ministries? Will we, will we submit ourselves to each other so that we can grow into this mature manhood? What will it take to humble ourselves before each other? You know, and Paul encourages us. He praises, you know, even. He encourages us to, to speak to one another the very words of God. If anything, right? Psalm, hymns, and spiritual psalm. Make a melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks to one another for everything to God in the name of Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do we come to speak and live with one another in the reverence of Christ? What we do this through speaking the truth to one another, right? Like I said, it's unnerving, but we need the gospel of, of grace. We need this truth. And the saints are in need of this. And so Paul tells them that the saints are in need of the truth so that we may no longer, verse 14, be infants tossed to and fro by the waves and, and carried about blown here and there by every wind of teaching that's out there, by the human cunning, by the craftiness and deceitful schemes of the world. You know, infants, we have plenty of infants and toddlers in our church. We get this, right? They don't decide where to go. We decide for them, right? They're cared for by someone else. They're changed by someone else. Me and their sneaky diapers. They're changed by us. They don't have a clue what's going on. They are clear. You know, there's a, there's a, a clear contrast right here between what Paul was speaking about in the previous verses that we stand together as mature manhood versus giving in to the falsehoods that will separate us and that we will be children and tossed here and there. Paul is saying that if you abide in the truth here, 
You won't be tossed around like a rag doll in doll in life. You will be, you, you know, you, you won't be a ship tossed to and fro by the waves, almost like dead wood out in the sea. Your faith will, and you know, if you don't adhere to the things of God, your, your faith will indeed be stagnant. You will be stunted in your growth. And there are things that, clear things that block us from the truth. You know, and, and this is not only fits well for uh, the Ephesians because it was a port city. And so they would get this idea of the ships coming and going and the waves beating against the ocean and against the ships and the ships going to and four. But God has given us more purpose in that. He's given us direction in, in his word. But we see that the teachings of the world, though, in this epicenter was strong. Much like this episode of Washington, D.C., there are many teachings out there uh, inside and outside the church. There are clear things that we want to stay away from, but they start sometimes, philosophy sometimes slip in, and we begin to believe a different worldview. But inside the church as well, right? Uh, Paul would have them understand that, hey, look, you have to stand together. This was radical. In their days, they had never heard of this radical message about this man called Christ and how they wanted to stand together with him. This is new. It's not as new to some of us, maybe, because it's been around for a while, but this was like really fresh for them to give up some of these teachings that they had believed in on how they can be God fearers, be people who have a resting place in eternity. And so Paul is warning them. Hey, don't give in to these teachings of the world. There's a tendency uh, or a trend that causes you to move from one belief to, the, to another. Stay with the gospel of grace. Watch out for those men out there that are cunning. Cunning men, deceitful folks out there that want to take advantage of you. The people that will roll the dice of life by chance, living by the seat of their pants, don't have any purpose in the world. They're, they're tricksters. Watch out for them. Watch out for those who have the very talents of deceitful scheming. The talent of deceitful scheming. You know, it's one thing to be savvy, right? And to be upstanding. But there are some who are savvy and want to use that for their own purposes, for their selfishness. Trickery. Tricking the people of God. Leading them astray. But God has stepped in, hasn't he? He stepped in so that we will be people that stand on his truth, speak for his purposes and not the purposes of the world. We will be people who do not give up on each other and speaking the truth to one another. And so this, this type of thing is indeed decided from the beginning, you know, and how Christ has purpose that we may stand in his truth. Because Jesus said, you know, if you if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will indeed set you free. So we need this truth because we not only have deceitful men out there cunning, scheming, but we have the one who is against our souls. And that's why Paul writes in Ephesians 6, Stand strong in the Lord. Stand strong in his might. Put on the full armor of God, people of God. 
that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the evil one. Because those who are cutting and scheming and deceptive out there, they are falling in the traps of the evil one and don't want the truth of God to be in your life. For we wrestle not against, not mostly against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Dress yourselves with the things that God gave you to fight against the fiery darks of Satan in the world. Dress yourselves, standing there, putting on, indeed, the belt of truth that holds the entire armor together. Dress yourself in a breastplate of righteousness, upstanding, standing on the things of God. Dress yourselves with the shield of faith. Take it up so that you can withstand the evil one. Dress yourselves with the shoes for your feet, the gospel of salvation, the gospel of peace. Dress yourselves against these flaming darts and put on this helmet of salvation, the salvation that God has given us, taking the sword of the Spirit, which is indeed the Word of God. And with this, we got to pray. Pray at all times in the Spirit for one another. Praying for each other with all kinds of prayer and supplication because we belong to Christ and we must stand together and we must stand together in the love that Christ has given us because when we stand together in this type of love, we grow up together. Verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ. We're the body, he's the head. We're becoming more like him for whom the whole body Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. As we are under the very words of God, as we are in the truth of God, it can't happen without the love of God. Because we can share truth to one another and it will break us without grace, right? It would break us without the love. It would discourage us. But Christ is saying, if you want to be encouraged, you have to speak this truth, my truth, in my love that I was giving you. Because it is in love that God predestined us. It is in love that we stand together, strengthened as one body. In love, we are sons of God. Is it in love that we speak? and have patience with each other. It's in love that we're kind with one another, and we're not envying, we're not striving against each other, even in our hearts. It may not be outwardly, it could be in our hearts, but striving against each other. It's in love that Christ has taught us the display of love through his life. When we see Christ there at the well with the woman from Samaria, it's in love that he has patience with her at that well. It's in love that he knows everything about her life and told her about everything about her life. He doesn't shame her, but he carries her and encourages her that, hey, I am the Messiah. What better thing can Christ do than give her salvation in that moment? It's in love when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and Jesus did not expose him. He came at night in secret. He was a ruler. He was a Pharisee. He had questions for Jesus. Jesus, again, patient, kind, 
display in this. And we see that he demonstrates his love in the fullest of manners by dying on the cross for us, our sins. So, dear children, let us not love merely with words of home, but also in actions and with truth, sacrificing our lives unto God first, then to one another. And David had to learn this lesson as well, because it was in love that God came to him through Nathan the prophet. David, you are the man. I'm standing face to face with you, exposing your wrongdoing, but I'm not moving away from you. I'm standing with you, David. I'm walking with you through this together. And that's why David could write, Have mercy on me, O God. Will we stand together with each other in that way to love each other to where we can turn from our wrongdoings or, or be lifted up in the way that we see the mercy of God? Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgression. And that's what he does. Wash me. He's washed us early from our iniquity. He's cleansed us from our sins. For David said, For I know my transgressions and my sins are ever before me. Thanks be to God. And his grace is ever before us too. But sin abounds, grace abounds all in all the world. And so Christ has given us opportunity to speak the truth and love to one another. Being slow to speak. Quick to listen, quick to love, and have mercy on each other. When we confront each other, it's nothing but love here, brother. Nothing but love here, sister. So let's consider each other in our love. Let's confess to one another that we may be built up together. Let's stay committed to one another so that we can go the distance towards Christ together, standing as one man, encouraged as the body of Christ is Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. You love us. You encourage us all the time. Your word is very encouragement. You are the word. Thank you for being our heart. And thank you for being our strength today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's see this next song. Let's take my life.